So we want to live to please the Holy Spirit. We want to live to please Jesus, to align our lives with God's intent and God's commands. We want to live to love God with every fiber of our being. Welcome to The Extra 10. My name is Ben Cartland, joined here once again by Jason Esposito. Jason, how are you doing today, man? Doing well, Ben. Great to be here. <laughs> Glad to be here. That's good. That's it. That's it. We're just no moving big on. Updates. We're going, We're just let's moving go. On. Just move on. Man. I love it. I love Get it. Get right into it. So, yeah, so this weekend we are talking, we're continuing in kind of this series looking at some of the minor prophets um, of the Old Testament and, and what they, you know, have to offer us. And we, this week we looked at Obadiah, which is the popular sh- book, popular book, the shortest book in the old Testament. Yeah. Blink and you it's miss like it. One chapter. Yeah. That's it. It was great. Yeah. I, I've read an entire book of the Bible today. I can say that with integrity. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it is short, but it is powerful. Mm-hmm. It is kind of a, a an in your face, yeah. um, gives you plenty to chew on type type mentality or, or type, you know, approach to it. And it's like all of the minor prophets, right? Yeah. The, the whole, the whole series has been very direct like a boxing match really every is. single time. Like bam, oh, bam. Really oh. But if it's any consolation, it resonates with me because that tends to be how I like to communicate right. and be communicated with very direct, very, you know, Hey, here you go. So uh, let's jump in the ring. Let's jump in the ring. Let's do it. Uh, so like I said, this week we talked about uh, Obadiah and Obadiah, kind of the the overriding message is this idea of you you get what you deserve, or you reap what you sow, or uh, however you want to phrase that. And you know, I think we've we've heard that a lot. I think we've you know in in conversations or if you, in religious upbringings or whatever it might be. Is what do we not understand, or what do we look at kind of incorrectly when we look at a statement like "you get what you deserve" or "you reap what you sow"? Yeah, that's. Can, can I back to train up for yeah, a second? Absolutely. Just like Obadiah is a prophecy of God's judgment against the people that lived uh, to the south of the kingdom of Judah, and I and I talked about that in the sermon, yeah. and so that's the big message. Just like pretty much all of the prophets for the most part and the minor prophets, especially it's, you're not loving people. You're not worshiping me. You're worshiping false gods. You're not loving what I love the most human beings. You're not aligning yourself with God's commands. And so my judgment will be upon you. And so the judgment is on both Israel and Israel is North South Israel's in the North Judah in the South, but the people uh, of God and the judgment is against those that attacked them, those that stood by as they were invaded. And so that's the overarching message in Obadiah. But as you're reading it, this one verse really stuck out. And it is that idea that you get what you deserve. Because you acted this way, because you didn't support my people, because you stood by when they were suffering, because you celebrated their demise— uh, then you are going to also be invaded. You are also going to be destroyed. And that did eventually happen. So I just wanted to kind of summarize yeah, that. I mean, that, that was yeah. in the sermon. and uh, But if someone kind of missed it, that's, right, you right. Know, go back, crosswayc.org, listen to the whole sermon. Yeah. But uh, th- that's the idea. So what was your question? Yeah, so the question then <laughs> was, you know, we hear that a lot. Like you got what you deserve or you reap what you sow. 
Um, but is there anything in that that we we miss in any of those statements? Something that like because I feel like when we say that it's a very kind of surfacey statement, like oh mm-hmm. well you reap what you sow, Jason. Right. But right. I feel that doesn't get to kind of the root of what Obadiah is talking about and you were talking about over the weekend. It's a truth statement about how life normally operates. We all see this. If you speed and you get pulled over, maybe you get a warning, but often you get a ticket. Mm. If you don't save for retirement, then when you retire, you're not going to have any money. If, you know, and it goes on, you know, if you're not kind to your friends, if you're not generous to others, if you're not practicing hospitality, I think hospitality is a big one because hospitality is a big deal in in the Bible. Mm -hmm. The idea of the table, if you're not inviting people to be with you around your table, watch the Super Bowl, have a barbecue or go out to eat with individuals. If you don't pursue that, then don't be surprised when no one's inviting you. You're like, you know, and I've heard that. I've heard no one ever invites me over. And I'm like, have you ever invited anyone over? Have you ever invited anyone to go downtown and grab a bite to eat or go to the Bucks game? Or no, I don't do that. Well, don't expect people to right. then invite you. And so that's just the normative way in which life usually works. You do reap what you sow. Now, when that doesn't happen, that's the exception. You don't get the ticket. You get invited over, even though you're not nice and you never open up your home and you never invite people out to dinner or a play or whatever you're into. You don't, you know, if you don't work hard in the early formative years to be a godly, healthy parent, don't be surprised when your kids go sideways. Now, that doesn't mean that it's a guarantee. Right. We know like Proverbs, for instance, raise up a child in the way they should go. And I even quoted a proverb in the sermon, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. Well, sometimes you can roll a stone and it doesn't roll back on you. Yeah, you know, it's if, if right. it's a really big stone. Right. Or recently a giant boulder of snow. <laughs> I have these huge mounds near my driveway. Like I've tried to lift them, and they're like boom, they swallow me up and I'm like the yeah. uh, the snowman. And uh But anyways, I I digress. You know, sometimes we can do everything we perceive as right and still our kids can go sideways. So it's not a guarantee. It's not always like that. Mm. Uh, Or you could have been a horrible parent when you were, you know, your kids were younger. Now your kids love Jesus and are great. Thank you for God's grace. Thank you for uh, the exception. But generally that's just how life works. And so that's the prophecy in Obadiah. Like you have been violent. You don't care about people. You don't care about the people that I care about. This is God speaking through his prophet, people of Judah, Jerusalem's the capital. You, you are just literally celebrating and aligning yourself with the Babylonian empire. Nebuchadnezzar came in. So now don't be surprised when someday war is on your doorstep. So what are some of the things that, you know, and you you touched on some a little bit there, but I think, you know, when I think of our culture and, you know, how we kind of exist in our day to day, you know, what are some of the things that we could be sowing, um, that, that later on could, we wouldn't, we won't be reaping what we, uh, what we intended to, you know, so I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, one example you kind of used in the sermon a little bit was if you're if you're focused on money, don't be surprised and like making money, don't be surprised that when you're older, you're fairly alone, except the people around you, what they care about, they're around you for your money and your resources. Again, 
We're not saying that that is going to happen, but don't be surprised mm-hmm. if it happens. Sure. So I'm just thinking of, you know, you also mentioned a little bit about like, you know, sports schedules and and things like that. I know we've talked about that before on, uh, on during these conversations as well, but so are there things now that maybe people might not be aware of, of different aspects of their life that they're sowing certain things that could reap a, a, maybe a much larger consequence in the future than, than maybe what it might mm-hmm. seem. A society that ignores the needs of the most vulnerable is a society that is already on the fast track of imploding. And so if we ignore the needs of the most vulnerable, so very, very concrete example, if we ignore the needs of children, if we don't value education, if we don't value creating safe and healthy environments for our kids, we shouldn't be surprised where society goes because kids are some of the most vulnerable uh, in our society, children. When you look at society, if our God is money, if our God is the economy, and I like money and I like stuff, and I know you like money and stuff, we all, you know, we need money and money's a big part of church and ministry and life. And I'm glad we can pay the heat bill and right. all of that. It's really important. I'm not anti money. Jesus wasn't anti money. God's not anti money. Money's a tool. But if we worship money, then we shouldn't be surprised. And you see these stories throughout history of very wealthy individuals at the end of their life, realizing how much they lived for money and how alone they were and how unhealthy they were because their focus was on money. Studies have shown over and over again, generous people generally are healthier people. So one of the paths to mental, spiritual, holistic health is to be generous. And yes, unapologetically, that's being generous with our money, with our financial resources, as well as generous with our time and other things. And so we, we just see this played out. If we're in a culture that celebrates violence, that a culture that doesn't value how God has created human beings and the beauty of, of creation and his intent going back to Genesis, and he created Adam, he created Eve, and he created them to worship him and to be in community. And we devalue community and we devalue godly intimacy. And we, we don't want to be known and to know, like we should, we shouldn't be surprised when we just struggle holistically more and we become a society that begins to fracture. So you mentioned this idea of, and, and it, you kind of, it kind of ties in with what you were, what you were saying there. But in the sermon, you mentioned this idea of you are who you are living to please. And that really, you know, kind of takes the, you reap what you sow or Mm -hmm. you get what you deserve or however you want to put it. And it definitely puts another spin on it. And for me, I had sit back and still am thinking about like, man, who, who am I living to please? What am I living to please? Mm -hmm. Um, what, what, how does that kind of play into this context of what you're, what we're talking about of you get what you deserve or you reap what you sow? Um, and how do you tie that into, you know, you are, li- uh, you are who you are living to please. Yeah. So think about an, an athletic image, or if you're in theater or music or band and your, your band director or your coach wants you to be a specific way and you're trying to please your coach. You're trying to be, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the ball. Like the, the coach is telling me to hit the ball or I'm going to run how the coaches want me to run. I'm going to play my trombone or my violin or my piano, how the 
band teacher or how the orchestra director wants me to play or the, you know, whatever it is or the dance instructor. And, you know, so if we're trying to please them because we want to get first chair, or we want to be on the varsity team or we want to, you know, the, those things. And, you know, we're going to adapt to the person we're trying to please. We're trying to please them to get a certain outcome. When you go to scripture and Paul talks about it and we unpacked it in the sermon a little bit in Galatians, the, the idea that if we're going to try to, we're either trying to, to please the flesh and the flesh is this idea of the carnal nature, that which is anti-God, anti-Jesus, not in line with God's commands, not in line with God's intent. And if we're trying to please that, then we are going to eventually experience destruction, you know, because we're trying to please the flesh, our own desires, selfish, self-focused living. We we become the you know, the captain of our own ship. Mm-hmm. We become the one who defines that which is true instead of truth existing as something outside of us, something that's universal transcultural and that we can tap into. But if we're trying to please the spirit, so the spirit of God in us, when you become a Christ follower, you become a temple of the most high God, the Holy Spirit indwells you. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is is to guide us in the ways of the Lord, to convict us, to illuminate areas of our life that are not in line with God, and to empower us to live for Jesus and become more like Jesus. So we want to live to please the Holy Spirit. We want to live to please Jesus, to align our lives with God's intent and God's commands. We want to live to love God with every fiber of our being, to love others. We want to live to have the fruits of the Spirit, you know, peace, patience, self-control, kindness, everything, you know, just oozing out of us. And when we live to please God, then we become more like Christ and we experience the blessing and the power of eternity now. Because eternity doesn't begin for the Christ follower when you die. Eternity begins at that moment in which you commit your life to Jesus. Then we begin to taste eternity or the kingdom of God, the will of God. You pray that in the Lord's Prayer, your will mm-hmm. be done on earth as it is in heaven right now. And so we begin to experience that right now and that registers into forever. So whatever you're trying to please, it, that is what you become. And if we're trying to please God, please the Holy Spirit, more specifically to the text that Paul writes about in Galatians, then we will become more like Jesus and in turn, will more fully experience the blessing and purpose and power of Christ in our life now and to forever. Yeah, and, and I was kind of processing this. You know, one of the things that was really challenging to me is as I started looking through, okay, yeah, what are you, what are you living to please, Ben? And I start playing through it. There's a lot of things that could be perceived as positive, but if prioritized over the pleasing of God, it actually will work in the negative. So I think about things like, oh, am I living to please my wife or my kids or my boss or another member of my family, a parent maybe, um, all those types of things. If, if that is has priority, so if I'm, I'm living to please my family, uh, what a positive statement. I am here and living for my family and existing for my family. But that breeds ultimately uh, unhealthy, an un- unhealthy me and then in turn an unhealthy family uh, because I've prioritized that living to please my family over my living to please for God. Like it's good to try to, to be there for your family and to try to, you know, honor them. But if, if that is prioritized over pleasing God, uh, it, it, it can get really slippery really fast, but it's kind of, it's so difficult because it's kind of, it's hidden behind what is seemingly a positive thing in being there for your family. Yeah. I've seen this play out in a lot of different ways in family dynamics. If you are married 
the one of the scriptural mandates is to leave and cleave. So you get married, and when I married Amy, when you married Charity, you know, you started a new family unit. It was the two of you. So even before you had kids, and before we had kids, like now we're married, we're a new family. We still are part of a larger family on both sides, and we have relationships with them, and we love them, and we care for them. But if we're living to still please uh, our mom or our dad, you know, our parent, the same way we did when we were single, then that's going to be some serious pain in the marriage relationship. Mm-hmm. We didn't leave and cleave. And so even in that way, and, I, and that, that just helps me understand it more. Okay, so I'm married now and I need to honor my parents and I need to, uh, which actually has a lot to do, this is for free for you, mm-hmm. uh, honor your father and mother. Isn't about like respecting your parents. You should respect your parents. That's, there's other scripture about that. It's actually about caring for your parents in a system where there was no social security. There's no way to care for your parents, taking care of your parents when they're older. That's, that, that's really the intent of that, of honor your father and mother, which is in 10 commandments. Boop, back to what we're talking about. Uh, the idea here is like, like you're going to have conflict. If I'm still, if I'm married and I'm living to please my parents o- over my wife, that's going to obviously cause conflict. I need to honor them, be in relationship with them, but I need to please my wife over pleasing my parents in, in that new relationship dynamic that's occurred. So when you think about that idea of you're living to please your uh, your parent over your spouse now, that's going to cause conflict. And so it's really the same thing with God. We need to first please God, live to please God. We become more like Christ, and then everything else becomes you know secondary, second tier, third t- tier from that. Yeah, it's seeking seeking God to influence all of those things, you know, rather than, rather than having those things influence kind of the relationship with God. And so here, here to me is the nuts and bolts of it and, and boiling everything down. And this is the, for me in reading Obadiah and hear you speak about, uh, about that particular book, it, it leads me to ask the question, well, what about Jesus, right? The ultimate you don't get what you deserve. You don't reap what you sow, uh, because we are saved in and through the the blood of Jesus Christ. And 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 so, how does you know how does Obadiah speak into what Jesus did for us on the cross? And how how do those things you know exist simultaneously? That we get what we deserve, we reap what we sow, but then oh, by the way, at the same time, because of Jesus Christ, that is also absolutely not true. So the book ends with hope. It says, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. And you see this framework in, in the prophetic message. There's judgment, there's justice, there's God's appropriate wrath. And then we see that God in the end is victorious and establishes his kingdom. So there's that, that future hope. It's all pointing forward to, to Jesus. It's pointing forward to the gospels, the good news. In fact, and this is a total rabbit trail, you can look at King Herod. King Herod actually is uh, connected to the people that Obadiah is prophesying against. And King Herod is, uh, well, there's multiple Herods, actually. There's Herod the Great, which is the Herod that killed the babies, the boys in Bethlehem yep. when Jesus was born. And then later, there's Herod that Jesus stood uh, before before he was crucified. And so there's even connections there. Like It's amazing how many connections there are between the Old Testament. And we were talking about this earlier, yeah. about the Bible, and like it's amazing, 66 books, all these different authors, and all pointing to Christ and his work. Even in Obadiah, you see that. 
in the people that the prophecies against and how that connects mm -hmm. to Herod. And that's like a whole nother really cool yeah. uh, story you could, you, you, you could uh, unpack. But I think very simply, this, this is how we need to understand this. We don't get what we deserve when it comes to our sin. You know, because of our sin, we deserve destruction, hell, separation. But because God made the first move and sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, we have life and forgiveness. That's grace, undeserved favor. So vertically, absolutely. We're, I'm so thankful I'm not getting what I deserve. Right. And I struggle and I fall and I sin still and I messed up. And you do too. We all do. We're human beings. We're on a journey. We're in process. But horizontally, the way life usually works is you reap what you sow. And that is also how our spiritual formation often works. So though when we come to Christ in and through grace, not by works, and we become who we will be someday, we're new creatures, we spend our whole life trying to align ourselves with who we already are in Christ. And that journey of alignment ties into what we're talking about. If we engage the spiritual disciplines, if we pray, if we're generous, if we're humble, if we forgive, if we practice solitude, if we meditate on scripture, if all these things, then we will in turn, cooperating with the Holy Spirit, become what we already are in Christ. But if we don't, though we might be saved, we might someday be in heaven, we're not going to become more like Jesus. We're not going to be transformed. We're not going to see healing in some of those broken relationships. We're not going to see wins over those certain addictions because this is how God has wired things to work on this horizontal level of becoming more like Christ. So it's true that we're saved by grace, not by works. And I don't get what I deserve. It's also true what we see in Obadiah, in Proverbs, and in Galatians. That generally speaking, uh, we reap what we sow. We become what we focus on. We become what we desire to please. And if we desire to please God, then we'll become more like God. And so, and so I guess my last question here is, is and now what? Um, you know, I, my concern is there's a lot of sowing that I have done and am doing. And, you know, the kind of the, the jury's out as to what's, what's going to be reaped in the end. And so how do we, what are some tools that we can use to reflect kind of on what we are uh, trying to please or who we are trying to please, what we're reaping, you know, uh, you know, whatever terminology you want to use that we've mm -hmm. thrown around that all right. kind of mean a lot of the same thing. Uh, you know, what are some clues that maybe we are not uh, sowing uh, the best, the best crop? <laughs> well, I think it goes right back to the message and unpacking Obadiah they weren't humble. They trusted more in their technology and their fortifications and they trusted in God. They didn't have empathy and care and compassion on their neighbors in Judah who were suffering. They worshiped false gods. They didn't care for people. They reaped what they sowed. And so that theme is just kind of repeating itself over and over again. So we need to examine our own lives. How, how are we doing in those areas? When we go through Obadiah, are we trusting more in our economic capacities or in our um, technology than in God? Are we worshiping the creation over the creator? Are we not caring? Are we callous toward people that are hurting 
and vulnerable? Are we sticking our head in the sand? Are we not being empathetic? Are we not, you know, it's, it's all, it's the same thing that's being replayed uh, in our lives that, that we see in Obadiah. The hope moving forward is that we are not like the people who are prophesied against uh, in Obadiah. Well, this is The Extra 10. My name is Ben Cartland. Here again with Jason Esposito. Jason, thanks for stopping by today, man. Good to be here, Ben.